Hello and welcome to the Medjlis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Panier, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. Russia's war in Ukraine is capturing much of the world's attention, but in Central Asia, there is equal, if not more, concern about what's happening south of the border in Afghanistan. The Taliban have been in power in, in Afghanistan for nearly two years. The Central Asian government seemed to have reached an understanding with the Taliban in which the Taliban pledges not to allow any threats to their northern neighbors. But the Taliban do not have all of Afghanistan or its, the groups there under their total control. There are groups in northern Afghanistan that have the goal of toppling some of the Central Asian governments. Who are these groups and how are they operating in northern Afghanistan? To discuss all this, I am joined by Lucas Weber, a researcher focused on great power politics and transnational militant movements. He's the co-founder and editor of Militant Wire, and that's at website militantwire, capital M and capital W, dot com. Lucas has written for many publications, among them CTC at West Point, Foreign Policy, Nikai Asia, The Diplomat, and the Jamestown Foundation. Richard Valley, director of the research at, Insla- at the Islamabad-based research and news platform, The Horasan Diary. Ricardo is an expert on international jihadist networks and militancy in the larger Horasan region, particularly Afghanistan and Pakistan. And thank you both for joining me. This program is about Central Asia, so I'm interested in what's going on near the Central Asian border. So, Lucas, if I could start with you, what is the situation with militant groups in northern Afghanistan at the moment? Well, we've had some uh, interesting developments lately. It has reportedly involved uh, both criminal organization or criminal networks and um, one unnamed uh, organization. So a few a few days ago, or a, a, a couple weeks back, it was reported that a top local um, security officer in Tajikistan was killed in a firefight with approximately six militants. Three were reported to have retreated back into Afghanistan and three were detained. Um, and the government said that they confiscated uh, 45 kilograms of heroin a uh, Kalashnikov rifle with four magazines, night vision goggles, about $10,000 in cash, and uh, other items. And um, prior to this clash with what they say were criminal elements, there was also reportedly an incursion by uh, at least two members of an unspecified organization, and later a counterterrorism operation by Tajik security forces was conducted and uh, killed, uh, reportedly killed two militants. So these two issues are, these two incidents, they're uh, ind- indications of a, a broader problem, uh, a threat environment that has concerned Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, and other Central Asian countries. And this is uh, largely has to do with the lack of trust and confidence in the Taliban to secure you know, the far northern reaches of their uh, borderlands with Central Asian countries. And then also we have uh, various groups aligned with the Taliban under their governance that are, have roots in Tajikistan and Uzbekistan, and also the Islamic State Khorasan province, which is has, since the Taliban takeover, really institutionalized and expanded their regional outreach efforts to recruit, fundraise, and incite violence uh, within Central Asian communities. 
That's great. Thank you, Lucas. Uh, Ricardo, what are you hearing from Pakistan about some of these groups? I mean, how active are, are the, you know, uh, Lucas just mentioned uh, the Islamic State of Khorasan province, uh, the Islamic movement of Uzbekistan, Jamiat uh, Ansarullah, it's a Tajik group. Uh, what do you hear in Pakistan? How active are these groups in northern Afghanistan at the moment? Yes, so uh, adding to what Lucas already mentioned about the network of jihadist organizations and militant organizations that are currently active in northern Afghanistan, specifically in some provinces of uh, Badakhshan, Kunduz, and Jozjan, and of course Balkh uh, and Takhar, these, uh, these groups uh, have also Central Asian countries, Central Asian republics, recently highlighted here in Islamabad during an event on security on border securities, the major threat that these groups uh, pose is the uh, destabilization of the borders between Afghanistan and such countries. Specifically, one of the major concerns for these countries uh, regarding uh, uh, Islamic State and also uh, Turkey Islam Islamic Party is that these groups in Afghanistan, in this northern region, have found a safe havens where they can recruit and amass weapons and uh, uh, carrying out attacks, both in Afghanistan, of course, this is their major objectives uh, regarding the Islamic State, Khorasan, but these uh, Central Asian republics, their major concern is the spillover effect that they can come from, from Afghanistan. And uh, uh, in particular, one of the major threats that uh, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan and uh, Kazakhstan, uh, sorry, Kyrgyzstan, also highlighted recently during this uh, uh, security meeting was the concern that the Islamic State of Khorasan, which is mainly active now between Iran, Afghanistan and Pakistan, has been able to actually recruit and manage the migration of uh, several militants from Central Asian countries, specifically Tajikistan and Uzbekistan, into Afghanistan and vice versa. So there is the major issues of these uh, uh, commanders of Islamic State Khorasan, some of which have been recently allegedly uh, neutralized by Taliban counterterrorism operation, one of the most uh, important being in Balkh, in uh, uh, Mazari Sharif, uh, which has been constituted as a major uh, center for the Islamic State in attracting such militants from Tajikistan and potentially sending them back to their uh, original countries. And here I, I just conclude this section just by adding another uh, point of view, which is the uh, role that these countries, uh, Tajikistan and Uzbekistan, plays in the, uh, in the broader strategy of the Islamic State, which is a double uh, strategy. Uh, the first, uh, first strategy sees this country as uh, a way to uh, for the uh, Islamic State militant to cross in other areas of the Middle East, first of all Iran, but also uh, to uh, proceed in the in the Middle East. And uh, uh, the second strategy is uh, by exploiting these the uh, destabilization, the mutual distrust between uh, Afghan authorities uh, and uh, t- uh, Central Asian countries along the borders to spark conflict and clashes. Uh, Along such borders, which is which is part of the war on borders of the Islamic State Khorasan and the Islamic State in general. Thank you. Um, let me let me follow that up, Ricardo. The Islamic State of Khorasan province, actually ISKP, actually claims to have carried out some attacks across the border. Right? Not this year, but last year they did uh, several times. Is this true? Yes, exactly. Uh, there were two instances of attacks that the Islamic State 
carried out from Afghanistan, from uh, Balkh uh, province into Uzbekistan and into Tajikistan. Now, these claims have been actually, uh, they, they didn't cause any any casualties from uh, from Afghanistan, uh, from the Islamic State, sorry, but they had a huge symbolic, um, they provided the Islamic State with a huge um, potent symbolic uh, effect and propaganda boost to its own uh, to its own message which is providing a platform to those groups uh, in uh, Afghanistan that are based in Afghanistan in uh, first of all the Turkestan Islamic Party and uh, uh, and other central asian groups of uh, uzbek and tajik origins we, which now have been absorbed into the taliban ranks uh, under the taliban command as I was saying, the, the the goal of this propaganda boost was to show such groups that the Islamic State can provide a platform for uh, such militants of uh, Central Asian origins to continue to wage their jihad into Central Asia, which in 2014-15 was a major problem for the Taliban, as uh, we saw for the Islamic movement of Uzbekistan, which was complaining that the Taliban were not after spending 13 years fighting together in Afghanistan against U.S. troops and NATO allies, they were complaining that the Taliban were not allowing these groups to wage jihad in Central Asia. Now, the Islamic State in 2014, they uh, tried to provide such platforms, and now they are uh, trying to do the same on a uh, limited scale, uh, as we uh, as we saw on a, on an operational level, but propaganda-wise, we can see that majority of the Islamic State propaganda, and on this, Lucas is the real expert, so he can expand on this. Uh, we can see that majority of the propaganda of the Islamic State is uh, produced in Afghanistan is actually produced in Tajik and Uzbek languages. Thank you, and that's a perfect way to, to transition over to Lucas. Lucas, I know you've done a lot of work looking at at the propaganda that the ISKP is is. Uh, is directing toward Uzbekistan and Tajikistan. Could you tell our audience something about that? Yes. Well, um, uh, actually, Bruce and I wrote a paper for uh, GNET, which I recommend you go and read. Um, and we actually talk about ha- uh, the strategy of how the ISKP is seeking to appeal to, in this paper, we were looking at uh, Uzbeks in particular. And one of the ways they're doing this, they're trying to poison the waters amongst uh, Uzbek supporters of the Taliban. And they're going through their organizational history and lore. And they look at how uh, the Islamic movement of Uzbekistan, factions of it, joined ISKP in 2015 for a number of reasons. And then were eventually uh, decimated by Taliban forces. And they use this. And they, they tell of how the Taliban didn't just stop at IS, IMU militants. They actually killed their, their wives and their children and their extended family as well. So they're trying to portray the Taliban as hostile towards Uzbeks. And then another thing we covered in this particular study was a new kind of trend where they started running biographies of uh, ideologues and uh, fighters from Tajikis or from Uzbekistan who they're they're trying to make martyrs and they tell of uh, the achievements and the influence they've had on contemporary ISK move uh, ISKP movement and they 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 portray it as 
obligatory that you follow in their footsteps because if they can do it, there's no reason why you should be sitting on the fence and watching as this hostile Taliban force is uh, cracking down on Uzbeks and uh, Uzbek jihadists. And they've also institutionalized uh, Central Asia-directed media outlets um, under their Alazame Foundation propaganda uh, apparatus. And this has provided translations of ISKP propaganda, uh, official IS uh, central propaganda, and uh, original propaganda that's seeking to appeal to Uzbeks and Tajiks. And they're saying, basically, as Ricardo mentioned earlier, the Taliban have these Central Asian jihadist groups on a leash, and they're being restrained. Meanwhile, we launched a rocket attack against Uzbekistan last April and Tajikistan last May. Uh, so uh, we're the ones who are really fighting these tyrannical Central Asian governments. And one last thing that's very important to put this all in context is that most of the primary external uh, Islamic State Central Asia focus was on uh, Iraq and Syria around the uh, emergence and height of the caliphate. And then uh, there is still some focus on, for instance, Central Asian IS families in camps in Syria and the poor treatment they're receiving. But overall, and this is something we, no- we noted on Militant Wire quite some time ago, is that the primary external focus has has quite clearly shifted to Afghanistan amongst Central Asian supporters. So this is a big shift. Uh, I don't suppose there's any chance we we have any idea how how many people are, uh, how many recruits they're getting off of this, do we? Well, it's um, hard to put a number on it. However, there has been <clears throat> reports by the Taliban of a number of uh, Tajik and Uzbek fighters being killed. Some of the biographies that they put in their Voice of Khorasan magazine have been recent. Some have been IMU from a couple of years back. But also when uh, Ricardo and I and, and my uh, colleague Laith Alkuri, we've been tracking the internal discussions of these Central Asian groups, and they have actually reported Taliban operatives infiltrating their Central Asian networks linked to ISKP. And this led to uh, the killing of, uh, which is what ISKP announced, but for some reason, or, uh, the ISKP uh, on official channels announced, but ISKP's uh, official channels didn't for some reason. But one of the up and coming charismatic Tajik ideologues was actually killed by their account by a Taliban mole. And then they put out a bunch of propaganda and wanted posters looking for the mole afterwards. So we know that the biographies we see coming out of ISKP on these Central Asian militants, it's not limited to this. And they seem to have quite a uh, robust contingent within ISKP. And I think ISKP using its limited resources to produce an abundance of media in both Tajik and Uzbek shows that uh, this uh, strategy is worth the resources and time put into it and is uh, showing results. 
Okay, thank you. Um, I got another question. I want you both to comment on this. I'll start out with Ricardo. Uh, what does the propaganda say about the governments in Central Asia that they're targeting? It seems to be the Tajik and Uzbek governments. What do they say on these social networks, Ricardo? So when it comes to Islamic State uh, uh, horrors and propaganda, uh, we have to differentiate between, uh, as also Lucas was mentioning before, between official and unofficial channels. So if we look at uh, official channels, propaganda against the Central Asian Central Asian countries, uh, it depends on the on the moment when this propaganda is published. So, for instance, uh, going back to last year, middle last year, when the attacks against uh, from Afghanistan to into Uzbekistan and Tajikistan uh, occur, we saw a full-fledged media warfare uh, directed against uh, Central Asian countries, which eventually transitioned also into propaganda against China, uh, trying to connect uh, East, uh, East Tur- uh, Xinjiang province, East Turkestan, to the broader Central Asia struggle and within the uh, province that the Islamic State would like to create, the Mubarun Nahr uh, province, uh, the land beyond the river Oxus. So uh, in these official propaganda, and especially Khorasan magazine, Voice of Khorasan, and to a limited extent also the Arabic uh, language magazine, South Khorasan, we saw that the usual propaganda against these uh, Central Asian countries revolve around mainly uh, two main topics, which is uh, about the authoritarian characteristics that these governments uh, often display, and uh, the from one side and on the other side, which is strictly connected, the so-called un-Islamic character of these uh, uh, countries, uh, according to the perspective of the Islamic State. So uh, on a second level, the unofficial channels we see, especially the Uzbek and Tajik channels, the propaganda against such countries, uh, of course, it's continu- it continues throughout all the uh, all the years. And uh, basically, this is more uh, specific propaganda, which uh, not only lashes out against uh, the governments, but also against specific individuals within such countries. So now, I uh, just to give an example, uh, there are uh, several sermons from uh, Islamic State propagandists and uh, uh, scholars who issue uh, um, legal decrees, fatwas, against uh, Islamic scholars in Uzbekistan, uh, try to undermine these scholars and uh, outlining them as potential targets within within Uzbekistan, and uh, this is something that we saw, what we see uh, in Afghanistan and in Pakistan uh, on a larger scale, of course, when the Islamic State local channels outline uh, scholars which are seen as enemies, uh, their own enemies. So they are trying to. Uh, send their uh, uh, to to uh, provide a, a legal basis for assassinating, uh, unfortunately, scholars in Afghanistan and in Pakistan, whether they are Taliban or from other sections of the uh, of the societies. But we can say that on this level, the on this second unofficial level, the propaganda from uh, Islamic State is much harsher and virulent than the official one because it's more pervasive and it addresses specifically con- population uh, populations from uh, Central Asian countries in uh, uh, Central Asian republics and also in Afghanistan and Pakistan. 
I, I find the uh, part you just said about the Uzbek clerics interesting because uh, Bruce and I have actually just started discussing a campaign by pro ISKP channels targeting uh, Tajik clerics in particular. So maybe that's something we can talk about after the show. But adding to what Ricardo said earlier, we also saw specific topics such as after the rocket attack into Uzbekistan, pro-ISKP Uzbek channels, which are now uh, officially part of ISKP's media apparatus, were talking about how the Uzbek railway that's running through Af- that's planned to run through Afghanistan into Pakistan is actually a plot by Uzbekistan and the U.S. to bring democracy into Afghanistan. Uh, and the Taliban is said to be involved in this. They accuse them of being uh, essentially mercenaries that are fighting ISKP on, Uz- on the Uzbek government's behalf. And also after uh, the rocket attacks, pro-ISKP channels in Uzbek started talking about how, uh, like we see gas and oil pipelines uh, targeted in uh, Egypt's Sinai region, in Mozambique, and elsewhere, that Chinese pipelines in Central Asia should become a target as well. And yeah, they, they really represent the Central Asian leaders as tyrants and of puppets of the U.S., Russia, and China. Okay, thank you. Um, and uh, we're talking about militants in northern Afghanistan who pose a threat to Central Asia, and my guests are Ricardo Valle, director of research at the Islamabad-based research and news platform The Khorasan Diary. Ricardo is an expert on international jihadist networks and militancy in the larger Khorasan region, particularly Afghanistan and Pakistan, and Lucas Weber a researcher focused on great power politics and transnational militant movements. He is the co-founder and editor of Militant Wire. And again, that you can find that on the internet at militant, capital M, wire, capital W, one word, dot com. And uh, thank you both for being on the program again. Okay, we've been talking a lot about Islamic State of Khorasan, and, and we might get back to them, but I, I don't want to neglect some of these other groups in there that are have, have closer ties to the Central Asians for a long time. We mentioned at the start, uh, the Islamic movement of Uzbekistan, for example, and they've have can, they are considered allies of the Taliban. What is their situation inside Uzbekistan at the moment, Lucas? Uh, well, we know there are um, you know uh, still uh, Uzbek groups with cores from the IMU in Afghanistan, but it's um, much like uh, the Turkestan Islamic Party and other kind of ethno linguistic uh, jihadist groups. The Taliban has essentially denied their existence, and uh, this has been uniform for Al-Qaeda, the TIP, IMU, uh, and others. And um, one interesting thing is that there was a RFERL report in July 2021, and they were talking about how Jamaat Ansarullah, uh, the Tajik Taliban, as they're sometimes called, their fighters were tasked with controlling the border areas and it is said that their core was made up of opposition fighters from uh, the war in Tajikistan in the 90s. And um, they are also linked to the IMU, Al-Qaeda, and the Taliban. And um, essentially, uh, Central Asian, or Tajikistan in particular, is worried because of their long border. And as we saw with the two uh, incidents 
recent incidents mentioned earlier, that these groups, though the Taliban seems to have uh, put them on a leash and because they want foreign investment and humanitarian aid, given the economic and humanitarian issues they're facing, they do uh, seem serious about not wanting Afghanistan to uh, become a launchpad for international terrorist organizations. This is a promise that they've been making even when they're in negotiations, peace negotiations, uh, prior to taking over Afghanistan. And uh, interestingly, for instance, uh, another sign of of this was uh, the Chinese government said that the Taliban actually pledged for the first time publicly to contain uh, the Turkestan Islamic Party. So uh, you can see that the uh, Taliban is kind of reeling these groups in a bit, but Central Asian states, just uh, Tajikistan, etc., they just don't have the trust and confidence in the Taliban to perhaps um, catch rogue actors or, uh, you know, those who go off script and decide to launch an attack on their own, even though they've been uh, command, they've uh, their groups have had pressure from the Taliban and probably from their own leadership as well, falling in line with the Taliban's dictates. So I think there's still a risk that some of these elements aligned with the Taliban could attack, and there are certainly concerns that they will do so. So, yes. Okay, great. Thank you, Lucas. Uh, Ricardo, uh, feel free to comment on the Islamic movement in Uzbekistan or, or Jamiat Ansarullah, uh, and I would like to hear your, your views on that. Uh, but you also, you were the one that brought up the Islamic movement of uh, Eastern, the Eastern Turkestan Islamic movement, excuse me, it's the Uyghur group that the Chinese are worried about. So if you could tell us something about that, them too and what, what's happening with them. Yes, absolutely, Bruce. So I uh, would just like to... Uh, in addition to what uh, Lucas has uh, brilliantly outlined on the uh, Islamic movement of Uzbekistan, uh, I just wanted to add an additional, two additional uh, details on these. One is uh, very recent on a political level. The Taliban today, Muttaqi, the uh, acting minister of uh, foreign affairs, said that uh, uh, making a comparison with the previous Republican government of Afghanistan, he claimed that uh, uh, especially on the issues of security. The uh, current government has uh, held a positive uh, uh, development, uh, obtained, uh, sorry, uh, positive developments with the government of Central Asian countries. So, uh, compared to the previous uh, government. So, uh, there is, as uh, um, Lucas was mentioning before, the Taliban are willing to, uh, apparently, at least publicly, to restrain the uh, actions of uh, such uh, groups like the Islamic movement of, uh, of Uzbekistan. And uh, another issue uh, related to uh, this uh, political, uh, on a political level, is the fact that uh, uh, while repeatedly uh, Taliban officials, like today also the active uh, Prime Minister Marwi Abdul Kabir, recently appointed by uh, Abdullah Khonzadeh, the Supreme Taliban leader, uh, Marwi Abdul Kabir and other uh, Taliban officials repeatedly claim that the Taliban government is inclusive of all ethnicities and uh, groups. Uh, part of uh, Afghanistan, whereas we know that many Uzbek and Tajik, especially Uzbek and Tajik officials, uh, not to mention the Azara ones, have repeatedly complained that the Taliban are uh, confining all power into the hands of a restrictive uh, elite. And uh, just four days ago, 
Abdul Hamid Khorasani, one of the top Taliban commander, Tajik Taliban commander uh, from Panjshir province, he uh, resigned from his position as a govern- governor of uh, one of uh, Afghanistan's uh, district in Paktia region, claiming uh, that the local uh, uh, of Taliban officials, the other local Taliban officials, were preventing the, his faction from uh, taking actual decisions within the administration of the districts and the neighboring areas. So this is just to say that there is what Lucas was outlining before, these uh, distrust, growing distrust within certain segments of within the Taliban along ethnic ethnic lines. And uh, this is exactly what the Islamic State have tried to exploit in its propaganda. And connecting to the, your questions on the Turkestan Islamic Party, in its uh, uh, situation now with, between Afghanistan and uh, Syria, on an uh, uh, official level, we see that the uh, Turkestan Islamic Party has been mainly silent when it comes to its presence uh, in uh, Afghanistan, although we know that they are active and they have been uh, put under strict control by the Taliban, uh, Taliban government. And uh, we know that they have been incorporated into Taliban units uh, where Taliban officials can uh, keep a close eye on them. Whereas we see a uh, huge propaganda and the media activity when it comes to the Turkestan Islamic Party branch in, uh, in Syria. And uh, the interesting fact is that uh, while the Taliban are trying to downplay in the presence of all these uh, uh, Central Asian jihadist groups in Afghanistan, the Islamic State last year, uh, towards the end of last year, and then uh, again in January for the first time, they uh, directly addressed their Turkestan Islamic Party, openly calling on them to join the Islamic State to carry out their their uh, their armed struggle against uh, uh, the Chinese government in uh, East uh, in East Turkestan. Now, when it comes to the Turkestan Islamic uh, uh, Party and uh, like on a um, capabilities in Afghanistan, they are sh- they have been severely uh, reduced by by the uh, Taliban government, but at the same time we know, and uh, this is also the concern that has been expressed recently by uh, Central Asian countries, we know that there are training centers where fighters continue uh, to train, and ultimately we have to look to the connections between all these uh, groups that are between Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Central Asian countries through the lens of uh, the uh, jihadist ideology. So all these groups ultimately have pledged allegiance, yes, to the Taliban supreme leader, Haibatullah Khunsada, but at the same time, they answer to a, an ideology that he, uh, does not recognize international borders. Now, we can say that the ma- one of the major com- uh, points that the Islamic State moves against the Afghan Taliban interim government is that they are trying to confine the emirate within Afghanistan. But ultimately, all these uh, groups that find their legitimacy in jihadist ideology, they have the goal of spreading the Afghan emirate model also in their own in their own country. So ultimately, uh, in the medium long term, uh, we uh, there is the uh, high possibility that we could see these groups try to make their move once the Taliban have 
consolidate their power in Afghanistan and and can provide uh, uh, they can support these groups on a covert level and uh, and there is also and here I uh, I conclude there is also an additional uh, uh, political uh, issues that we have uh, seen regarding specifically Pakistan but it's the same when we talk about Central Asian countries that the Afghan Taliban by harboring these groups they have a potent leverage that they can use against uh, neighboring countries. So we saw this with Pakistan and the TTP because the TTP, of course, it's the main threat to Pakistan and one of the most and one of the major groups in the region. But the Central Asian countries and the Taliban know this. They can suffer. They uh, they are exposed to the Taliban who can use the these groups have a political leverage on a security level against Central Asian countries, specifically Tajikistan and Uzbekistan uh, in primis. Okay, and I got a question. It's for both of you, and I'll start with you, Ricardo. The Central Asian governments are counting on the Taliban to keep control of the country and keep these groups in check. But there seem there are stories that that actually the Taliban's policies against ethnic minorities is is pretty harsh in some places. Are the is the Taliban losing uh, whatever popularity it might have had in some of these northern regions among the ethnic minority groups uh, who are Tajiks? Uzbeks, you know, and rem- keeping in mind, of course, that there is a Tajik militant group from Tajikistan and northern Afghanistan and an Uzbek militant group from Uzbekistan and northern Afghanistan, too. Are the Taliban having problems in their, their policies toward ethnic groups in northern Afghanistan? And, and might that play into the hands of, um, uh, you know, well, actually more instability, but certainly some of the other militant groups like ISKP? Yes, exactly. I think that uh, you mentioned the most important point, which is that uh, uh, while personally I think that the Taliban have a, a strict control at the present moment over these uh, these groups, but this is also because these groups themselves they are waiting to see what is going to be the situation with the, uh, within the next uh, two three years. Because this is fairly the Taliban have been in government for the last two years, which uh, on uh, a broad, like on a long term perspective, it's not a, a lot of time. Uh, they have been governing Afghanistan, so these groups are also waiting for the, for the Taliban to to make their moves in this regard. Uh, so there is this uh, double aspect to to be considered. So I was saying that, of course, the Islamic State strategy is to lure these uh, uh, is to lure disgruntled militants who are not willing to wait or to, and to follow the orders of their uh, leadership, who has instructed to wait there, uh, for the Taliban to make their moves in the next years, months and years, to consolidate their power. Uh, the Islamic State is trying to lure some of these disgruntled militants, uh, leading them to join their own organization. And this is true for Tajik and Uzbek militants, but also for the Turkestan Islamic uh, Party. But uh, coming to the uh, to to the point of your questions, uh, at the present moment, uh, I personally uh, don't think that uh, we have no evidence that the Taliban are losing control of uh, these uh, over these militants. Also, because of these uh, particular detail which is uh, many of these uh, commanders are not, and ethnic groups are not against the Taliban government, but are against the, the fact that the Taliban are not uh, sharing, are not opening the, uh, sharing the power of decision, decision-making power uh, with these uh, commanders and local ethnicities. So the Islamic State 
also know this and they know that this is a long-term strategy that they have been implementing. Okay, great. Uh, thank you, Ricardo. Lucas, uh, I'd like to get your comments on the same thing. Yeah, and I think that, um, for instance, we've seen ISKP uh, essentially say to the Turkestan Islamic Party that the Taliban are, you know, they have you on a leash and they, they won't let you attack uh, China, so you should come and join us. And then also uh, a UN report uh, actually said that I believe around 50, they, uh, member states said that around 50 TIP members joined ISKP in the north. And um, I, I believe that, um, for instance, it is easier to uh, for the Taliban to unite all of these disparate uh, ethnic elements when they're fighting a foreign invader. And uh, we are seeing some rifts that um, are reported on occasionally that, you know, there is some discontent. And IS ISKP has uh, looked to exploit this by portraying the Taliban as a uh, Pashtun-centric organization that discriminates uh, against other ethnic groups. And... Um, also, ISKP's campaign against the Turkestan Islamic Party, uh, you know, competing for essentially the leader in the anti-China cause, um, this may have been the reason for the shift in doctrine that we are seeing from the Turkestan Islamic Party's uh, media apparatus. And so their propaganda is now trying to promote them as not an international terrorist group. Uh, they don't want to target any countries, but they do want to liberate China. So this is kind of a way to do an end run around the difficulties they face by being restrained by the Taliban. They want to be a global Uyghur uh, liberationist movement, and they're not an international terrorist group. This is this is the new uh, line coming out of the Turkestan Islamic Party's commanders. So I, I found this very interesting. And they're using the uh, ISKPs using the Pashtun centric uh, talking point to appeal to Tajik and Uzbek groups as well. Okay, thanks. Um, you know, unfortunately, we are about out of time. Uh, and I know this is one of those huge topics, we could sit there and spend days and days talking about this and what's going on. But I do want to thank uh, my guests, uh, Lucas Weber and Ricardo Valle for being on the program. I recommend reading, if you want to find out what the situation is with militant groups, not only in northern Afghanistan and Pakistan or Central Asia, but really across the globe, you know, I, I recommend you read the Lucas and Ricardo's works and you visit uh, militantwire.com uh, for information. A big thank you, as always, to my Middle East podcast producer, Nathan Shoemaker in Washington, D.C., and a reminder, you can subscribe to the Medjelis podcast or the Central Asian Focus newsletter by visiting Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's website at rfarl.org. Thank you very much, and we'll be back next week.